Colossians chapter 1. As you make your way there, it's good to have uh, Faith Carpenter back with us after her trip uh, this summer. and She's up at camp the rest of the summer working, and so uh, be sure to say hi to her. We're going to be hearing from her in a few weeks uh, during Sunday school uh, about her trip and uh, looking forward to uh, hearing what God did uh, through her team's ministry and also in her own life uh, after uh, following her trip. Um, and so looking forward to that. And then also, congratulations are in order for Tanner and Aaron, uh, Aaron Reardon. And I just saw an oh my goodness with a hand to the face back there. But uh, uh, Tanner, good job. Uh, proposed this past week. And so they are engaged. Congratulations. We can give them a round of applause. <laughs> it's exciting to see. Uh, see that happen. So I uh, congratulate them as you see them this morning. Hopefully you found your way to Colossians chapter 1. It's page 983 in the Pew Bible, page 983. We're going to pray, and then I'll read uh, verses 9 through 14, our passage this morning. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your goodness shown to us in Jesus Christ, Lord, the forgiveness that we have in him. Lord, help us now as we come to your word as we've just sung a prayer, Lord, teach us. Lord, use your word to make us more like Jesus. Remind us that life is not about us, but it's about us becoming more like Jesus and bringing you honor and glory. Lord, we love you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 9. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruits in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This morning, we've prayed several times already during our service. And that's one of the things we do when we gather together as a body. We gather together to pray, right? And specifically, we pray the word. What does that mean? Do we just repeat verses? No. We gather together to see the word in action. As we are seeking to be word-centered on God's word when we worship, the word manifests itself in several different ways. We sing the word. So hopefully you are reminded of passages of scripture as we sang the songs this morning. Uh, different uh, verses came to your mind as we were singing Come thou fountain, all my ways are known to you, and all I have is Christ. As we sang, uh, speak, O Lord. Hopefully you were reminded of passages of Scripture. And then we, we read the Word. Thankful to Carrick for reading Philippians 1 for us this morning. Uh, Paul encourages Timothy, give yourself to the public reading of Scripture. It's, it's one of the things that we do. We read a passage together. Sometimes you listen, sometimes we read it all together. So we 
sing the word, we pray the word, we preach the word. That's what's happening right now. That's pretty clear. Sometimes we see the word. And you might be thinking, what in the world does that mean? Well, when we celebrate the Lord's table, that's a physical action that represents a command in scripture. We see the word. And Lord willing, hopefully in a month or so, we'll have a baptismal service. That's another way we see the word. We see people being obedient to God's word and identifying with Jesus Christ. We see the word. And then the last thing is we pray the word. And in our prayers, we are to pray, one, things that line up in accordance with God's word. We're going to talk about that this morning. But also, we are reminded of God's character in our prayers. I hope you've noticed the pattern that we have seen as I like to pray and others pray that we start off with giving God praise and thanks. We adore him for who he is. And then we confess our sin. That's the pattern of David we read in Psalm 32 and, and also of several other individuals throughout the Bible of confessing sin and then moving from confession to giving thanks and supplication, asking God to work. But one of the most important things when we pray the word, is what we pray for. What we pray for. What do we want God to do? I was challenged several years ago by a good friend of mine, uh, a fellow pastor, and we were somewhere and somebody prayed, and, and they prayed to have a good day. And we got done praying, and he looks at me and goes, what does it mean to have a good day? At first, I thought it was just my friend being snarky, because that's his personality. And I said, oh, Dan, calm down. Like, just take it easy. But he said, no, really, what does it mean to have a good day? I'm sure most of us have prayed that. I've prayed that, right? That we'd have a good time. We'd have a, a good day. Normally, in my thinking, when I pray for having a good day, what constitutes a good day? Well, everything goes how I want it to, right? <laughs> a good day is when there's no interruptions. I get everything done on my to-do list. Everything comes together as I would like it to. Maybe there's unexpected blessing. That's a good day. As I stop and as I think about that, that sounds a little self-centered, right? That everything would go according to how I want it to. Well, that's not a bad desire. Lord, give me a good day. Help, help things go smoothly. I got a lot, of, a lot of things to get done. That's not a, a wrong desire. But as you stop and as you think about it, is there something more important going on in our lives than us just having an uninterrupted day? Yes. Yes. Rather, I would submit to you today as we look at Colossians chapter 1, and as we think of praying uh, for each other as a church family, we should be praying for God to have his way in us and through us. So my friend often says, I'm not praying for you to have a good day. I'm praying for you to have a God day. And sometimes God days are full of interruptions. Sometimes God days go completely off the rails. <laughs> sometimes God days are very difficult. But in those days, God is working in us and through us and in our circumstances to make us more like Jesus, which is his ultimate desire. I had another pastor friend text me this morning. And uh, as I got the text, I said, oh, that's good. I need to put that in my opening illustration. 
oftentimes we tell people, hey, I'm praying for you. And that, that's great. That's a great thing to say. But I love when we get specific. It's not just praying for you this morning. But this is what my friend said. He says, I'm praying for you as you meet with God's church to worship and adore him. I am praying that you will preach God's word with boldness and confidence in him. Also, I'm praying you will intentionally invest in another member. I am thankful to God for you. I'm praying for you. Now, he could have texted me and said, hey, I'm praying for you this morning. That would have been an encouragement. But as he texted and as he said, I'm praying for you in all these specific ways, it challenged me to think, okay, God, how are you going to work through the preaching? How are you going to work through the conversations? How are you going to work through my approach to the word this morning? The specificity that he had in his prayer was an encouragement and challenge to me. And I think as we come together, we need to remind ourselves of what God is doing in us and through us, and in that, challenge us to pray in a manner that God wants us to, in a manner that's much more deep than, hey, I'm praying for you to have a good day, but I'm praying for you to be more like Jesus. Our big idea this morning is this, is that God's work through Christ calls us to be filled with spiritual understanding to live a life worthy of the gospel. Now, that's, that's wordy. And I tried about 15 different ways this week to summarize that better, but I couldn't. So I'm just going with this. God's work through Christ calls us to be filled with spiritual understanding to live a life worthy of the gospel. And this is applied specifically here in verses 9 through 14 in Paul's prayer and how and what he prays. Paul's prayer here for the Colossians is an excellent template. It's a pattern for us and how we can pray for one another. I don't know if you've noticed, uh, but our first Sunday in July, our second Sunday in July, and then we had Pastor Strope last week, very thankful for his ministry. But then today, um, talking about prayer, we've talked about gathering together and talking about making disciples and God's building his church. All of these ideas, actually, uh, the flow of these ideas come from our church constitution about the duties and responsibilities of members. As a member of Horton Baptist Church, you are called to be partaking in the ministries of gathering together, of encouraging one another, of praying for one another, and serving one another through ministry and giving. And there's a little foretaste of what we're going to talk about next week. But this morning, we're going to talk about praying for one another and how God's work in Christ, what our desire, what our aim should be in our prayers. Because of what God has done, what he's accomplished through Jesus, Paul writes that we are called to live worthy of the gospel by, be, uh, by being filled with spiritual knowledge and understanding. We're to live worthy by means of bearing fruit, of growing in knowledge, being strengthened by God and giving thanks. And all of this is because of God the Father bringing us into his kingdom of light through redemption in Jesus and the forgiveness of our sins. And this is laid out for us here in verses 9 through 14. So let's look here first at the content of Paul's prayer, the content of Paul's prayer. In verse, uh, verse 9, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Paul says, and so, or therefore, from the day we heard. Well, what has he heard? If you look back here in verse 4, 
He says, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Paul is writing for the church in Colossae, a church that he's never met face to face. And we don't know if he ever did. But this church started as a ministry or through the ministry of the gospel, more than likely uh, through Epaphras, he says, our fellow servant. So here's a body of believers that Paul hasn't met directly, but he's heard of their faith. And he gives thanks for them. And he prays for them. And he's writing to them right now. He says in verse 3, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. So Paul is praying for these people often. He says that in verse 9, From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. That's the same words from 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18, right? Pray without ceasing. Paul is praying for this group of believers he has never met. And that's a biblical thing. So as we pray during the pastoral prayer, this morning we prayed for Temple Baptist Church in Charles City. A lot of you have never met anybody from that church. But you're praying for them. We're praying for them. There are people praying for you who have never met you and you don't know them. And that's, that's a biblical thing, to be praying for people, praying for believers around the world, but in specific local churches. Paul is praying for the Colossians. And he's praying on a consistent basis. It's a pattern of his to pray. And he's praying, he's giving thanks because of their faith in Christ that they have come to know. In verses 3 through 8. For the work of Epaphras and those other faithful men and women who have served the Lord by sharing the gospel to these people. And he says, from the day that we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. So he's been praying. But what is he praying? For what does he pray? He may not know the specific concerns, right? He doesn't know the everyday dealings of the church in Colossae. He may not know that they've gone from two services to one service for the month of July. He may not know that a storm came through and might have knocked down some crops. He may not know that a couple of church members are going through some, some difficult physical circumstances. He may not know the people there who are just hurting or the joys that people are rejoicing in. He doesn't know the minutia of life in the church of Colossae, but yet he still prays for them. And what does he pray? He prays this. He says, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. He is praying that the believers in the church in Colossae may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Well, whose will? It's God's. It's God's will. And he's praying that they would be filled. It's the idea of being filled up. They would overflow. It's the idea of a pitcher that is being filled to the point where it's overflowing. When my son tries to fill up his cup like a big boy with the gallon of milk and the gallon is too full and no, 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 right? You hold your breath so it doesn't just overflow. Paul is saying that they would be overflowing with the knowledge. That word knowledge is, is understanding and we're going to have a lot of synonyms for knowledge and understanding this morning, but it's more than just the head knowledge. It's an experiential knowledge. It's an experiential Knowledge. It's the difference between reading it in a book and knowing how to do it in real life. Of, okay, I've learned about this, but now I'm putting it into practice. It's the, uh, the idea of, of knowledge and then uh, wisdom, right? Knowledge is know-how and 
Wisdom is knowledge applied of not only knowing what to do, but being able to do it, knowing the, the, the tips and the tricks of the trade. Uh, those of you who work with, with um, engines and machinery, there's a lot of nuanced things. I could think of, of Jeremy working with animals, right? You learn a lot in school, but then there's just a lot of things you learn by doing. That's this knowledge here. He is praying that they would be filled with an exper- experiential knowledge of God's will. Not an experience like I've had uh, uh, the supernatural experience, but the faithful everyday living of God's will. And his will is not the individual, God, what do you want for my life? Right? What job should I have? Who do you want me to marry? Or uh, things like that. But rather, it's God's plan for us as believers. God's will is not so much concerned with the straight and narrow path for the choices that we make in life, but rather how God wants us to live. And that's clearly described for us in his word and in the person of Jesus Christ. He's praying that they would be filled with an experiential know-how of what it means to follow Jesus. And we see the realm here in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. This wisdom, this understanding is not an earthly wisdom. It's not something that any parent could pass down to a children or any uh, a ruler could give to a citizen or one person to another, but it's a spiritual wisdom. It has its source in God. It comes to those who know Jesus Christ and are, who are dwelt with the Spirit. So this experiential knowledge of how God wants us to live is not an earthly wisdom and understanding, but it's spiritual, it's from God. And he demonstrates that through, to us through his word, through his spirit, and through other faithful men and women who are filled with the spirit, the local church. This is what Paul prays, that they would be filled with the know-how of living for Jesus. Now that covers a lot of things in life. If you were to pray for someone, I'm praying for you that you will know how to live for Jesus. That covers what happens when you go through difficult circumstances. That covers when things go great and there's times of blessing. That covers, here's a difficult relationship in my life. When you pray, Lord, help me to live like Jesus and live for Jesus, then you start to think, okay, how do I do that through a sickness? How do I do that through a great time of blessing? How do I do that in my everyday life with my kids, with my parents that are aging, with my relatives who don't know Jesus? This prayer encompasses all aspects of life and points to our ultimate motivation of bringing glory to God. So the content of Paul's prayer is that we would be filled with the know-how of living for God. And what is the desired result? That's our second point in verse 10. So that's the content of Paul's prayer. And the desired result of Paul's prayer is this. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Paul is praying that they would live this way so that, as a result, that they would bring glory to God. He says, so as to walk. 
That's one of Paul's favorite phrases for living your life. We often use the phrase, you can talk the talk, but can you walk the walk? Walking the walk is how you live your life. Uh, what is your walk life? You know, your Christian walk. You've probably heard that before. But it's an illust illustrative term to, to communicate the manner in which you live your life. He says to walk, to live, to, to do activities and actions in a manner worthy of the Lord. Now understand this. He is not saying that we need to live our life in a way to make yourself worthy. That you earn your salvation. That's not what he's saying. But he, what he's saying is that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will, living life in a way that brings honor and glory to the Lord, worthy of their faith, worthy of the salvation that they have, not earning it, but as a result of. An illustration of this uh, deals with the idea of living up to your name, right? Just an illustration from junior high camp, the, the speaker said this, is that his dad would drop him off at school and he said, hey, remember who you are. You're first and foremost a child of God, but then you're also, and his last name was Jackson, you're a Jackson. And we live our lives in a certain way. So make sure you do that. Now, he didn't become a Jackson by living in a certain way. He was a Jackson by birth. And his dad was saying, because you're part of our family, we have expectations. And because you're part of us, you should live in this way. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying, Colossian believers, you are part, we'll talk about here in a little bit, of the kingdom of light. You are in Jesus Christ. That's who you are. And you are there by being born again, by God making you part of that kingdom of your, through your salvation. And because that's who you are, you should live in a certain way. And so you're living in a way that matches who you say you are. That's living in a manner worthy of the Lord. The desired result is that what the Colossians say about their identity matches their activity and action in their life. That they would live in a manner worthy of the Lord, bringing honor and glory to him with the phrase, fully pleasing to him. We bring honor and glory to God. He's not saying that we live our lives to earn our salvation, to become worthy, but rather we live our lives because of who we already are in Jesus in a manner that matches that. And when we do that, we please God. We please God. As a father gives commands and instructions to his child and says, do this, stay away from that. Don't touch the stove. Clean up your room. There is a level of joy that comes to a parent when the child obeys. There is a level of joy as a parent when you see your child make right choices and live out their faith or whatever it may be. That's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. It's how God has designed us. And so when, when Paul says, we are praying that you would live out your faith when you live out your faith, depending upon Jesus Christ and bringing glory to God, that pleases the Father. And that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. He says, being fully pleasing to him. He's not saying you need to please the Father to be saved. He's saying, no, remember who you are. 
Live out your faith. And when you do that, it pleases the Father. It brings him joy. One author said this, believers are called to have the proper response in light of the mighty acts of God in their lives, their salvation. In this context, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord is to lead a life consistent with their deliverance from the dominion of darkness, as it says in verse 13, into the kingdom of his beloved son, which we'll talk about here. A consistent walk with what they say that they believe. Paul prays that they would know experientially, that they would live out their faith with the result being bringing honor and glory to God. But how do we live in a manner worthy? What does it look like to live our lives in a manner worthy of God? And that's our third point, the means of fulfilling Paul's prayer. So what does it, what does it look like? How do we do that? Well, there are four, uh, four participles here, for those of you who like English, uh, starting with bearing, uh, and then increasing, being, and then giving. So a tip, a participle often has an ing ending, okay? Not always, because English is never always, but a lot of times. And this is uh, subordinate to the idea of, of walking in a manner worthy. Bearing fruit, increasing in knowledge, being strengthened, and giving thanks. So first off, we should bear fruit. He says, bearing fruit in every good work. This idea of bearing fruit is doing good works. Think Ephesians 2.10, right? God has saved us in Ephesians 2.8.9, and we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, Ephesians 2.10. Our lives should never be devoid of good works, of activities, of actions, of conversations, of deeds that bring glory to God. Jesus says that in Matthew 5, right? That we should be salt and light. That we should do good works so that others may see our good works and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. Our works don't save us, but our works reveal what we truly believe. James says this. James says, faith without works is dead. Not that our works save us, but if you say you have faith without works... He doubts that salvation. But he says, if you have faith with works, he says, then you walk away justified. The idea there is, I can't see your heart. No other human can see your heart. Only God can see your heart. And if you're truly saved, but there's a good indicator by the activity and actions in your life as to whether or not your faith is a true saving faith. You will live what you say you believe. And here it is, bearing fruit. In every good work. Someone who understands what God has called them to in Jesus Christ will do things in their life that demonstrate this. It's an evidence. It's something that we can see. It's a visible result in the life of believers bearing fruit, bringing honor and glory to God. And that manifests itself in many different ways. Through helping others through the content of your character and the way you live your life and interaction with unbelievers, a lot of different ways that we can see fruit being born in our lives. Secondly, he says, increasing in the knowledge of God. This is the idea of what he's already mentioned, but it involves growth, increasing. You could also say growing in the knowledge of God. This is growth in spiritual maturity. 
there are many instances in scriptures uh, where Paul and other writers talk about being a newborn babe in the faith, right? Desiring the pure milk of the word. But he says you need to grow up and desire the meat. In Ephesians, Paul says we're to grow into maturity into Jesus Christ from childhood to mature manhood. He says in 1 Corinthians that he's put away childish things. All of this talks about growing. And yes, growing physically, but the physical picture lends itself to the spiritual application. We are to grow from immaturity spiritually to maturity spiritually. And part of this comes through the knowledge of God, knowing about God and who he is. It's a process of learning and comprehending more and more. I remember when I was first saved, I knew things about God and about the Bible. What is it now? 15 years, 18 years on, I know more about God and I know more about the Bible. Now, have I moved on from the gospel? No. But my understanding and comprehension of God and who he is and his, his plan and his word is more developed and more mature and more nuanced. And hopefully that's true with you. That we never get over the wonderful gospel that saves us, but we also grow in our understanding and the nuance and different facets of who God is and what he's done. It's one of the dangers for any of us that we might grow older in church, but we never grow up in church. Meaning we might get older physically, but our spiritual growth levels off. May that not be so. May we be learners and lovers of the word of God and of the gospel from the moment we're saved until we're taken to glory. We should increase in the knowledge of God. Not only in the volume of it, but our application of it. It's the idea of spiritual maturity or wisdom. And this often isn't just facts, but it's the application of it to our lives. It's what does it mean to be humble? A spiritually mature person is not often offended. <laughs> A spiritual mature person is one who is willing uh, to love difficult people, to seek the Lord's help in difficult circumstances, the application of knowledge to life. Third, verse 11, being strengthened. We're to be strengthened. This strengthening happens by God's power. He says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. As believers, we need strength to get through the Christian life. It's hard. But Paul says, living our lives in a manner worthy of the Lord is that we endure, we persevere, he says, not with our own power and strength, but his power and strength. Verse 11, with all power, according to his glorious might, it's God's might and God's power working in us. 1 Corinthians 15, 10, Paul says, I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, it was the grace of God which was with me. Paul says in verse uh, the end of, of chapter one here, he says in verse 29, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. The strength to live the Christian life doesn't come from our own strength, but it comes from God who gives us the strength, who works in us. So it's a reliance and dependence upon God to get through. We cannot do it on our own power, but by his power. And fourth, we should give thanks 
or excuse me, we do that with joy. Joy accompanies that. And then the fourth, we should give thanks. Thanksgiving is a theme of the book of Colossians. It's mentioned, I think, seven or eight times. He says we're to give thanks to the Father. Why to the Father? Well, he has qualified us to live, to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. Somebody who is growing in understanding and maturity understands that all that we have ultimately comes from God. And the greatest gift we have of our salvation comes from him. And he has qualified us. He makes us worthy to be participants in this inheritance through Christ. Ultimately, thanksgiving finds its source in the work of God. It comes from God for what God has done. Giving thanks, understanding it's not our own doing, but it's rather the Father who has qualified us. It's his doing. So to live in a manner worthy, we should be growing we should be bearing fruit. We should be strengthened, not by our own strength, but God's relying upon him. And we're to be thankful people. This is someone who reflects life in a manner worthy of the Lord. And lastly, we see the motivation here. Number four, the mo underlying motivation of Paul's prayer. Verses 13 and 14. He has delivered us. This is referring back to the Father, which goes back to verse 9 talking about what God has done, which goes back really to verses three through eight. Paul is reminding them of their salvation. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. This idea of delivered us is, is rescue, of security, of safety, removed from harm. You've delivered us from the domain of darkness, the rule of darkness, i.e. sin and Satan. And he has transferred us, this is a transaction here, from the from this domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son, to Jesus' kingdom. Who has done this? God the Father has done this. This is the source of our salvation. He has qualified us. You didn't run the race. You didn't pass the test. But God through Jesus Christ has. The world championships of track are happening right now, and there's qualifying to get into the finals. You have to run so fast. You have to come in first, second, or third to make it to the finals. Qualifying. Happens in auto racing, right? You have to qualify for the main feature. And you have to prove yourself that you deserve a spot in the final. There's nothing that we can do to qualify ourselves for entrance into the kingdom of Jesus. There is no test. There is no uh, no skill that we need to possess. There's nothing that we could ever do. But it's only through God the Father and Jesus Christ he has qualified us. How has he qualified us? It's in verse 14. In whom we have redemption. It's through Jesus. The redemption that we have. This is a purchasing. He has redeemed us from that domain of darkness, that slave market of sin. He has qualified us to enter into the kingdom of Christ through redeeming us through the blood of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins. Our sins are no longer held against us, but we have been purchased. We have been qualified. When God looks at us, he sees Jesus's righteousness. And this is our identity. And when this is our identity, we pray not to have a good day. We pray to have a God day. When our identity is in Jesus Christ, 
We pray, God, help me to know you more. Help me to love you more. Help me to be strengthened with your power. Help me to live our lives in a way that brings you honor and glory. So how do you pray? How do you pray for other church members? It's good to pray for physical needs. Yes, pray for Steve. Please pray for Steve. Pray for, pray for James. Pray, pray for Joe and several others who have uh, gone through treatment for different various things and, and uh, injuries and such. Pray for those things. But first and foremost, pray that God would help us live our lives in a manner worthy of the Lord. That we would be filled with the knowledge of how he wants us to live. That we would bear fruit. That we would give thanks. That we would be strengthened. And that we would increase in our knowledge of who God is. If we would pray that way, it would be amazing to see what God would do. Because when you pray that way, you start to think that way. And you don't think, oh, this is something that has messed up my schedule for the day. No, this is an opportunity for me to trust God and say, okay, God, how do you want me to work through this? How are you at work in this? How are you using this circumstance to make us more like Jesus? Pray that we would bear fruit, that we would increase in maturity, that we would be strengthened by God's power, and that we would be thankful. And in doing this, we would live our lives in a manner worthy of the Lord because of what he's done for us. He has qualified us to be partakers in the kingdom of his beloved son. Let us live out who we are. And may be that living out, may that be the, the desire of our prayers. And when we pray like this, you can pray for anyone. You can take your church directory and you can randomly pick somebody and say, I don't know the circumstances and the specifics of their life, but I can pray that they'd be filled with the knowledge of his will. That they would bear fruit that they'd be strengthened by God's power, that they would give thanks. For that is what we are to be about as God's people. More than convenience, more than ease, more than things working out as we'd like, may we pray to be people more like Jesus and that we would be a body more like Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the conviction in, even in my own heart this, this week. Lord, where I have a desire for things to go according to my plan rather than things that would help me be more like Jesus. Lord, help us to grow as a body, to be filled with the knowledge of your will so that we can walk in a manner worthy of you, giving you honor and praise. Help us to bear fruit, to grow in maturity, to be strengthened, to give thanks to you. Lord, in all the circumstances of our lives, the ups and downs, the good and the bad, may you be working out these things in us. Lord, we love you. We pray for all this in your son's name. Amen.